Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Uh, G'day everyone. Uh, It's good to be here with you again. Uh, Thank you very much for those who uh, pray for me and the other chaplains and our work in the army. I want to ask a question to start with. What do you need in order to survive and to thrive in a hostile environment? What do you think you'd need in order to survive and thrive in a hostile environment? Imagine for a moment that you're in a situation where there's a threat to your security, a threat to your happiness, a threat to your freedom, uh, to your safety, uh, where your very life is threatened. Maybe you're in some sort of hostile environment uh, with a powerful enemy opposed to you. A huge power imbalance. The numbers are against you. There's lots of them and not many of us. Um, And they have a superior force. You're threatened physically, maybe even experiencing psychological attack. What would you need to survive and to thrive in a hostile environment? We want to look today at um, a couple of different examples of uh, this sort of hostile environment. And I'm going to take uh, the first one from uh, the Australian Army in North Africa in World War II. Uh, The Australian Army were defending a port called Tobruk. Uh, They were under siege. They were isolated from the other Allied forces by the German Army who had surrounded um, Tobruk and were planning to force the Australians out. In command of the German Army uh, was Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox as he was known. Uh, who had a formidable reputation for inflicting powerful surprise attacks. In fact, uh, quote, During the war in North Africa, Rommel's reputation grew until his very name took on the power of a sort of devil, the very mention of his presence, almost a harbinger of Allied defeat. So here are the, we've got the Australians and the Allies up against this formidable opponent. Uh, they were digging themselves defensive trenches 10 kilometres out of Tobruk in the burning desert sand. They were living in stiflingly hot days and freezing nights under constant artillery and air bombardment. The supplies of the food and the water were decreasing all the time. They were plagued by flies, fleas and illness. Uh, They were under psychological attack. The Germans were using radio broadcasts to threaten and intimidate them and would tell them that they they were caught like rats in a trap, that they couldn't escape. Well, the Germans hadn't counted on the Australian sense of humour, for one thing, that the Australians weren't going to be intimidated that easily. And the soldiers adopted that, na- that nickname and proudly called themselves the Rats of T- Tobruk. What do you need to survive and to thrive in such a hostile environment? The other story that I want to relate to you today is that of the Christians in first century AD, in the first 50 years after Jesus died. These are the ones who John writes this letter to, the book of the, that we call the book of uh, Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation to John. And he's writing to Christians who are living in towns in the Roman Empire, uh, what in, where we would understand is modern-day Turkey. Uh, they were living in a hostile environment. Uh, the custom of their culture that they lived in was to worship as many deities as possible to avoid um, offending any gods out there who they might have forgotten. Um, the worship of these gods included a whole range of sexual practices like visiting temple prostitutes, homosexuality and paedophilia. 
They were under psychological attack. The Christians were branded as atheists and pagans because they didn't believe in all the gods, Roman and Greek gods. They believed in just one man, Jesus. And it was illegal to be a Christian. And the Roman emperors of the time insisted on being called Lord and God. And after 64 AD, Christians in some places began to be martyred by crucif being crucified, burned, or even killed by wild animals. What do you need to survive and to thrive in such a hostile environment? Well, what is God going to give his people in order to help them to survive? Today we want to have a look at uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and we're going to look at a few different things that God gives to his people. And the first one is uh, found in verses 9 to 11, and it's a voice. Uh, not a voice to parliament like we've been thinking about lately, uh, but a different type of voice. Let me read to you verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Here we have this voice, and he describes it as a voice that sounded like a trumpet, like a bugle call playing out the last post, calling out to the Christian churches in the area of Turkey. And uh, the voice says to John, write down this vision and send it to these seven churches. You notice this is written to them, to God's church in the first century. It's addressing their immediate situation. But this, uh, these words are also for us today. And it's, it's helpful for us, isn't it? Because when we're in a hostile environment, when we need to survive and thrive, God won't leave his people in the dark trying to guess what's happening. God speaks he speaks to us to reveal himself and his plans through a message. Well, John wants to turn to see where this voice has come from. I don't know if you've watched the TV show uh, called The Voice, the singing show. Um, contestants get up and they sing and the judges decide if they like the voice, if they think that voice has got potential. And then they turn around to see who the voice belongs to. And sometimes it's very surprising to see who owns that voice. Well, John hears the voice and he turns around and gets a big surprise. And that's our next bit is uh, we see that God gives his people a vision. Verses 12 to 16. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Well, this picture that we have of where the voice is coming from uh, is a picture that's full of symbolic meaning. The clothing uh, that we see here can have um, special meaning, much like a, a polka dot jersey in the Tour de France has special meaning, uh, the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. Well, when John turns around, what does he see? He sees 
someone like a son of man, a human figure, uh, but a figure who's wearing very distinct clothes and has very distinct uh, looks about him. And these things have a symbolic meaning. For example, the clothes can have a symbolic meaning. He says he's wearing robes and a sash, uh, clothing that belongs to royalty. In verse 13, he says he's like a son of man, which takes us back to a description of God uh, back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, Thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and all its wheels were ablaze. Sounds a lot like this uh, this image we have in Revelation chapter 1, doesn't it? And so here we have one like the Son of Man and he's dressed up in God's clothes. He's borrowed the divine outfit. Either he's nicked them, he's a pretender, you know, mutton dressed up as lamb, a wolf in sheep's clothing if you like, or these clothes actually belong to him and this one like a Son of Man is actually God. Well, he's not just dressed up, he's got blazing eyes. Uh, he can see through everything. I remember a, a commanding officer at Duntroon when I was a chaplain there, uh, an ex-SAS officer who had uh, come to Duntroon. And he, this man had piercing eyes. When he looked at you, it was like he was looking right through you. We used to say that he could kill you with one eye tied behind his back, that he could see right into your heart. That's why we have this picture of this man, this image in Revelation 1 that has blazing eyes. He sees right into your heart. He knows everything about you. And out of the mouth of this uh, special figure comes a sharp double-edged sword. And that reminds us of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then it tells us his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. So here we have this image this majestic brilliant awe-inspiring radiant regal breathtaking image but we know that looks can sometimes be deceiving you can't always trust what you see so the question is is there any substance to this vision can he produce the goods or is he just all show and no go Well, we find out that this awesome character has plenty of runs on the board. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This awesome character has plenty of runs on the board. He says, don't be afraid. Well, that's easy for him to say because his presence is awesome and fearsome. And you can imagine that many people would feel threatened by looking at this sort of image. But we know in the Bible that for people who belong to Jesus, his presence is meant to reassure, to encourage, to bolster, to inspire confidence. And his words back that up. He says, I am the first and the last. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. See, Jesus is the victor. He has won the decisive battle. 
And it's a it was a surprise um, victory on that very first Easter day, wasn't it? That very first Easter weekend. At first, on Good Friday, it looks like Jesus has been defeated. He's died. It looks like the enemy has triumphed. But then he was raised from the dead and claimed the ultimate victory. I want to switch back here quickly, uh, link back to the rats of Tobruk. Because it was on the, first, on the Easter weekend of 1941 that Rommel was determined to attack Tobruk and defeat the Australians. The Desert Fox wanted to wipe out the rats. And his method of attack had won many, many battles before. He would send in his armoured tanks, not in a, a wide straight line, but in one narrow column to burst quickly through the defender's perimeter and get in behind their lines and then the infantry would follow through and clean up. And this is what happened on Easter Monday 82 years ago in a battle that is called the Easter Offensive. The German tanks burst easily through the defensive perimeter of the Australians towards Tobruk and it seemed like victory was assured. But the Australians were expecting this type of attack and they'd planned well. They'd set a trap for the German tanks. Uh, General Morshead had sent out the instructions to the front lines not to fire at the attackers, but to let the tanks come through deeper and deeper behind their front lines, deeper and deeper into a trap that had been set for them. The soldiers and artillery gunners needed to have complete trust in Morshead and his plan and follow his orders to the letter if this plan was going to succeed. In this trap, the Australians and British had set up a line of artillery guns and tanks. And as the German tanks charged in, getting closer and closer to Tobruk, the orders were clear. Hold your fire. Hold your fire. Hold your fire. Now. And the rats of Tobruk let loose from all sides and from the air, with every weapon they had, firing on the German tanks and infantry, as they tried to beat a hasty retreat. See, the Easter offensive was over. It seemed, at first, it had seemed like a very easy victory for the Germans as they poured through the Australian front lines. But although initially it looked like a massive defeat for the Australians, this battle actually turned out to be a great victory. What do you need to survive and thrive in a hostile environment. The Australian army has always relied on developing superior tactics. We're a small army. We need to fight smart to defeat a larger army. What did the first century Christians need to survive and to thrive in such a hostile environment? Well, God gave them what? A voice, a vision, and a victor. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ because they needed to see Jesus. They needed to know his victory over sin and death. They needed to know his presence to strengthen and inspire them. They needed to know his rule in their lives to enable them to thrive as a church. In whatever situation we face today, whatever difficult or threatening situation we might find face, we need to see Jesus. Verse 5 in Revelation chapter 1 says this about him. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, 
and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And as we've seen in verse 17 and 18, I am the first and the last. I am the living one who was, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. What do we need to survive and thrive in a hostile environment? We need to see Jesus. As a chaplain in the Australian Army, I have a number of different roles. Um, pastoral care and welfare are very important roles. Uh, teaching character development, helping young men and women grow in character to be the best soldiers that they can be. Uh, we give advice to command when required to. As I've worked in the Army, I've really found that it's a big responsibility because we're dealing with soldiers who are trained to use lethal force in order to defend, protect and shield others from danger, potentially at the cost of their own life. What's the best thing I can do for them? Help them to see Jesus. Help them to know the only one who will never leave their side. Help them to know the only one who has the power over death, the great enemy. Um, a little video clip you may have watched today. Uh, a private who has become a Christian just recently said these words, Without chaplains, I wouldn't have found Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your constant presence in our lives in every situation, whether it's good or bad, whether it's um, under threat or intimidation from others. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we see in the lives of these first century Christians who were indeed in danger, Father, that you didn't leave them alone, but that you gave them exactly what they needed. Father, I thank you uh, for this picture of Jesus that we've seen in chapter 1, this picture that is meant to strengthen us and inspire us to continue to live for him as he rules our lives. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to take confidence and strength from what we've seen today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.